Hello, and welcome to another episode of Relationship Alive. This is your host, Neil Satin. I'm going to get straight to the point. Today, we're going to talk about how the sexual energy of a feminine person works. We're also going to talk about the female anatomy, and you just might find out some things that you never knew before. Today's guest is Sherry Winston, holistic sexuality teacher, founder of the Center for Intimate Arts, and author of the award-winning book, Women's Anatomy of Arousal, Secret Maps to Buried Pleasure. Sherry also brings her knowledge as a midwife and a massage therapist to bear on the topic of just how we might come to sexuality from a completely different perspective. I guarantee that unless you've already read Sherry's book, and maybe even if you have, you're going to learn something new today. If you're interested in qualifying to win a free copy of her book, Women's Anatomy of Arousal, you can download the show guide at neilsatin.com slash arousal, that's A-R-O-U-S-A-L, or text the word PASSION to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. Sherry Winston, thank you so much for being here with us today on Relationship Alive. Well, thanks for having me. It's really a pleasure to be chatting with you. Great. I'm wondering if you could take a moment and just with like a broad stroke, give our listeners a sense of holistic sexuality. What, what does that even mean? Well, holistic sexuality is based on the idea that our sexuality is a core part of us that's connected to all of who and what we are and connected to everything and everyone around us, that our, our sexuality is a manifestation of our life force but it's also uh, a way that we're connected to all the life that's on this planet. So uh, from the more individual level, it's about looking at sexuality in a mind, body, heart, spirit way and understanding that those realms are all connected and interlocking. Um, It's about how we connect really um, uh, to, uh, to, to life. Yeah. Yeah. And so how would you contrast that with the typical approach to sexuality that's happening out there? Well, you know, we have a very confused culture around sex. So I think our cultural model of sex is uh, a combination of things. It includes this attitude that sex is about something that you get from somebody or that you give up, um, that you score, uh, that there's a a sort of... um, uh, re- recreational sport quality to sex. Uh, we also have uh, what I can call the, the pornification of culture, which I think um, I'm not knocking porn. It's fine for what it is, but it's uh, it's entertainment. It's not education. It doesn't show people how to have awesome sex. It doesn't show people how to have uh, sex that connects to the sacred, for example. Um, and it doesn't really show the range of what's possible with our sexuality. So I think our, our cultural model is limited. And I also think our cultural model tends to focus on a more male-centered map of sexual energy and experience. So those are some of the flaws I see that are in our, what I think of as our limited cultural map of sex. Yeah, so... If we're living in a culture that's focused primarily on male sexuality, then how does it shift? How does it look differently? Should we shift our focus to female sexuality or feminine sexuality? 
Well, I think um, if we think of the sort of porn model of sex, uh, you know, oh, the plumber shows up at the door and the woman uh, answers the door in her skimpy little outfit. And two minutes later, they're on the floor um, boffing and she's having screaming orgasms. So if we sort of look at that model of sex, it's uh, intercourse focused. Um, it's about how quickly you can get to the intercourse and uh, it doesn't include any of the context, any of the relationship. It doesn't include uh, a good example of what female arousal, real true deep female arousal would look like. And it, it doesn't uh, show the energy, the connection, the intimacy, the spirituality or any of the other possibilities of what sex is. Yeah. So I guess I'll take that plumber costume back to the store. Well, hey, no. <laughs> it's oh, yeah, sure. Um, but the plumber has to make repeat visits, I guess, for it to set up a true context. Um, in all seriousness, though, one thing that I really appreciated about your book was, you know, I'm I'm heterosexual. And I've been with women since I've been sexually active. And yet I can't recall that many conversations until I was a grown up. Um, and I'm not going to fill you in on when I actually <laughs> determined my being a grown up <laughs> to be. Um, but I didn't actually have a lot of conversations or opportunity to talk about what, not only what turned my partners on, but also that came from the perspective of them really either knowing what was happening in their bodies when they were being aroused, or if they did know, to actually be able to speak about it articulately. So one thing that was really helpful for me in your, in your book was talking about, was how you, how you talked about arousal and the the feminine approach to arousal versus the masculine and and actually your your conversation about anatomy so we're going to talk about all that um and uh but first i'm wondering could you could you dish a little bit on yin versus yang and uh, to set up that context of what does feminine sexuality look like from a yin perspective and what does that mean about how women or feminine people get turned on? It's a great question. You know, and when I first started doing this work, uh, I would always kind of get stuck in the talking about how men are and how women are. And, um, you know, somebody arguing with me about that, that this was a sort of a, a gender binary trap and, and stereotypes. And so what I realized was we need a, a better map to talk about the energies, the, the polarities um, that we have within us and how they operate and something that would be useful for people of all genders and people who are all uh, across the spectrum. So the yin-yang model is what I, I use a lot. And the yin-yang model says there's there the whole world is made up of polarities. Um, there's the North Pole and the South Pole, and there's light and there's dark, and there's, there's the... the the flow and the form, uh, we inhale, we exhale, and everything is these polarities. And that with our sexual energy tends to be where most of us are more polarized. And for most people, one or the other polarity is more core, more central for us. So for most women, our core sexual 
Polarity is yin energy, uh, and our, our yang is our secondary, and most men are wired the other way. And I love what's great about this model is, except for the people who aren't. Right. right. So there are some women whose core energy is more of the yang energy, but most women, it's yin. And what it means to be a person whose core sexual energy is yin is that it's like a pot of water that takes time to come to a boil. It's slow to get going. Our sexual energy starts outside of ourselves in, in context and connection. And then that energy has to flow past all of our other uh, energy centers. It's got to go from their edges towards our center. And that's why for most women, it takes 30 to 45 minutes, really, to get totally, thoroughly, and deeply aroused and to get your sexual energy coalescing in your genitals. And for people uh, whose sexual energy is more yang focused, that their core energy is yang, it's more like a fire in dry tinder that starts genitally focused. And there's, not, there's no right or wrong, but if you partner with somebody whose sexual energy is the opposite of yours, or really the complement of yours, um, and we usually do, even whether whatever our plumbing is, even if we have same-sex partners, we tend to be attracted to somebody who holds the opposite polarity. And what that means is we have to learn how to dance in a way where both partners are getting pleasured and turned on. And our cultural map of sex, the plumber showing up at the door model, is male-centered. It's about genital focus, quick, hot, fiery arousal. And that doesn't really work that well for most women uh, because we're, we haven't even started getting turned on uh, when sex is already over most of the time. So this is about um, reframing the map to start going like, okay, well, what, what works for core yin people? Oh, what, what works for them is feeling connected and creating a context and, and then starting at the edges and getting their whole body woken up and then moving towards the more sexual parts, but in a teasing kind of way and taking your time to get there. So does that make sense? Absolutely. And one thing that we talked about here in our conversation with Diana Richardson, she mentioned uh, how almost every woman has had the experience of having a guy inside her before she's really ready. And what was so um, amazing to me in reading your book was how detailed you got with describing what is happening when a woman's body is being aroused. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. Like, what are the stages that... Um, that a yin person is going through and how does what does that mean about arousal and what does that mean about like how would you know if you were ready if you're to have someone inside you those are such great questions first i want to kind of just jump in and, and get on that bandwagon of saying i and pretty much every other woman i've ever talked to has had that experience as well so um and that is partly because a we don't know what thorough, deep, full arousal feels like. Um, B, we have this cultural map that, that we're there to please our partner. Um, C, they're ready. 
And so, and, and every time we see sex in the movies or we read it in books or I will say 99% of the time, um, everybody gets right to intercourse. It's sort of the main act and they get there fast. And so we sort of feel like that's what we're supposed to do. And no one has ever told us any different. So what happens when we understand how arousal tends to work in women is we realize that the way you know you're ready to have someone inside of you is when you are desperate to have someone inside of you. When you are just like, yes, now I must have something inside me. That's when you're ready to have to have that. Uh, and most of us are allowing what I call premature penetration. Um, and uh, so um, another way of knowing if there's anything inside you, you know, a finger, a toy, a penis, whatever, if there's something inside your vagina and it doesn't feel incredibly fabulous, if it isn't the most exciting, awesome, intensely pleasurable thing, you're not ready. You're not aroused enough. And you should remove that thing and go back into the turn on the play and the arousal. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, put it, put it in later when you're really ready, when it feels awesome. Yeah, very helpful. And I remember you're mentioning too, that our culture is, it promotes everything young. So everything fast and direct and like, let's go. But that young that's expressed in a more healthy way is actually in service to mm -hmm. the feminine. Um, so it's like you're, I guess you're taking all of that focused energy and showing up and saying, all right, like I'm here, I'm going to be fully here and I'm going to be fully here as long as it takes for you to be fully here with me. That's a beautiful way of expressing it. It's the young, instead of the young being in service to sort of their own kind of short-sighted um, goal of getting off, uh, it's young, which has that quality of focus and direction and initiative and saying, okay, I'm going to hold out the highest pleasure for all here. And, um, you know, I liked, I also use a, a map, what I call the pussies and puppies model. Mm -hmm. And the thing about uh, dogs, which is the young energy is a badly trained dog, <laughs> you know, the kind that, you know, knocks you over and sticks his nose in your crotch and starts humping your leg is very unpleasant, but the high masculine uh, is exemplified in the service animal, you know, the seeing eye dog whose, whose job is, you know, to guide and be aware and attentive to their person and be in service to them. And so if we think of the high masculine that way, it's really quite a beautiful thing uh, that can be brought to the, the sexual arena uh, to really expand everyone's pleasure uh, and in getting where you want to go. Yeah, and talk for a moment about the the opposite side, the feline analogy. Mm. So the feminine, the core yin people are more like pussycats. And the thing about a pussycat is um, uh, they're very fluctuating, they're changeable, they're moody. Uh, you don't start petting the pussycat by diving into their tummy right away because they'll claw you and run away. Uh, you have to seduce the pussycat. You have to connect with them, you make contact, and then you, you start with the less sensitive parts of their body and you show them I'm safe, you can trust me, and I know how to give you pleasure. 
And then when you're really attuned to the pussycat um, and their signals of whether they're sort of opening towards you or closing away from you and you take your time, you go at the right pace. And of course, the right pace is the pussycat's pace. Um, sooner or later, you will have that purring puddle of pussy that you're after. But if you go too fast, you're going to tighten up and close up um, or run away. And the, the feminine yin energy is just like that. For the for a woman to open, she has to feel safe. Um, and she has, it has to, you have to create an environment of, of where she can bloom open. You can't force that to happen. And I can't force that to happen, right? I can't force that to happen for me. I can only allow that to happen for me. Yeah. Um, that makes me want to um, talk about the here's one thing. So a lot of women that I've spoken to say that in their experience, when their partner f notices that they are wet, that they think that means it's time to go. Mm -hmm. And actually in your book, you mentioned that wetness is actually an initial state of arousal, but it's not like the whole kitten caboodle. So can you talk about what really needs to fully happen in a woman's body and all the parts involved in order to reach that full state of arousal? Yeah. And I'll say about, about lubrication, um, you know, for, for many women, uh, we start to lubricate early in arousal, but we don't get super juicy until later. So even people are confused that any lubrication, any wetness means that you're ready for penetration. Um, and you know that you're ready when your, uh, your whole body is turned on, your thinking and critical judgmental, uh, brain is turned off. Um, when you've gotten to that point where, uh, um, you, you are longing for genital contact, that's when it's time for genital contact. And I think, um, that we, we need to um, just slow down and be in the state of arousal. You know, I mean, we have this kind of goal-oriented, it's about getting really turned on and having intercourse and having orgasms uh, instead of being in the journey. So I think the other piece of it is rather than like, am I ready? Am I ready? Is it time? Is it time? Is to just shift that mindset entirely and go like, this feels good. Oh, and now this feels good. And this is pleasurable. And this is fun. And let's play with this. And let's hang out here. So I think that's the other. And if you do that, at a certain point, it will be completely um, evident that, that you and your partner are want to move into whatever activity you want to do next, but it becomes less about how fast you can get there. So does that, does that, did that answer your question? <laughs> Definitely. Could you just, because I found this to be so fascinating, could you talk about her erections? Sure. So women have a, a network of structures that are made out of erectile tissue. We've, we've been taught our cultural map is women have a clitoris and that's where, you know, all the focus should be. And that's where, where we get our orgasms from. 
in truth, women have a network of structures. What we think of as the clitoris is actually the head of the clitoris. And it is an important and, and incredibly sensitive and wonderful structure. And it is key for most women to getting turn, turned on in a high level arousal and having orgasms. But it's only one part of this multiple part system. Uh, women actually have as much erectile tissue as men do. We have a penis's worth of engorgeable erectile tissue, and it's arranged in these different structures. And when we know that what the map is, when we know, oh, here's the head of the clitoris, this is the shaft, here are the legs, um, here are the vestibular bulbs, which are two big wads of erectile underneath the labia. Um, there's erectile tissue under the floor of the vagina, and there's a, a erectile tissue above the roof. There's actually a tube of erectile tissue that surrounds the urethra. And when all of those structures are big and engorged and turned on, then you get what I call a herection or a hard around, uh, which is full female erection, which in itself doesn't even necessarily mean it's time for penetration or, or other activities either. Um, but it is a good uh, minimum <laughs> to go for. Because when, when all of those structures are engorged, you get this cuff, this, this connected circuit of arousable tissue. And it's, uh, it's mind-boggling how much it expands your experience of arousal and orgasm when the whole thing is really uh, in the game. Yeah, and I like how you invite either partnered people or people on their own to explore that area at different states of being aroused. So if you're by yourself, self-pleasuring and seeing like, what do I look like? And what do, what do I feel like when I'm not even turned on? And then how does that actually shift as you go into higher and higher states of arousal so that you can actually start to experience yourself that way? I mean, honestly, I've, I'd never had a partner even talk about that. Well, because we don't know about it. Yeah. <laughs> not in the books, our sex teachers, our tantra teachers, our medical professionals, our anatomists. I mean, people don't know that this stuff exists. So it's not in our mental map. We're not, we're not even aware it's there. Um, we don't have that map of, of full female arousal and what that looks like. So it's not surprising to me that uh, people don't know and they're not talking about it. And that's why I, I really encourage women to, to go on a guided tour uh, to do it in stages so you know what it looks like, what it feels like uh, when you're not aroused and when you're moderately aroused and when you're deeply aroused. And then take your partner on a tour and introduce them to all of the components and, and show them these things. And it's, it's mind-boggling. It's really, really uh, one of the most expanding things from my own personal experience of of erotic pleasure when I discovered all these parts and I put this map together and I realized like, oh my gosh, there's so much more here than I learned about in all of my years of school. And I just have to note, I'm actually a, um, before I was a sex teacher in my former life, I'm a midwife, a certified nurse, midwife, gynecology practitioner, registered nurse, licensed massage therapist, um, a doula, a childbirth educator. I studied I studied anatomy. I studied this part of the body and I did not learn about most of these parts in all of that education. And uh, that's part of my, my mission is really about getting this information out. So, so 
everybody starts to know what's really there, how does it work, how's it connected, how do I get it turned on, uh, and how much incredible, extraordinarily pleasure um, we potentially have when you do get it. Yeah, it's a very fascinating part of your book that I was actually prepared to just sort of skim through like, oh, yeah, like I actually just talked to Ian Kerner about all this stuff. So I'm just going to skim through it. But I found out even more than and and not just in terms of the anatomy, but in terms of how it's all interconnected and mm-hmm. how all the systems work with each other. So interesting. And um, I definitely encourage people to check out your book, Women's Anatomy of Arousal. Um, this might be a good time to mention that Sherry has generously offered to send a signed copy of her book to a lucky listener. So if you're interested in qualifying for that, make sure you download the show guide for this episode. It's going to be available at neilsatin.com slash arousal, A-R-O-U-S-A-L. And um, you could also, if you are not able to visit a website right now, you could text the word passion to the number 33444, and that gives you instructions for downloading the show guide, and it will also qualify you to win the signed copy of Sherry's book, Women's Anatomy of Arousal. So thank you so much for that offer, Sherry. Really appreciate it. It's a pleasure. And, you know, I just have to note one of the things about teaching the anatomy that's tricky is that everybody thinks they already know. Oh, I already know what's down there, you know, or I've read our bodies ourselves, or I've read some sex books. And the truth is, as far as I know, at this point, this information isn't actually anywhere else and and people don't know yet. So I, I really want people, I want to get to the point where when people say, oh yeah, I know it's actually correct. <laughs> yeah. And when you're, when you're feel like whatever you're feeling, if you're suddenly like, oh, I think there might be something up with my Bartholin ducts. Well, you know, medical professionals may not even know what you're talking about, or if they do know, they they don't necessarily know much about what the function is of that part of your body. Right. One thing that just cracked me up is that you kept notice noting that many of these parts that women have were given names by people who were not women. And I loved how you kept renaming them. Um, it, it seems only appropriate from my perspective. Yeah, well, it's, I guess it's one of my pet peeves that all of these body parts in women's bodies are named by the men who discovered them and named after the men who discovered them. And it's sort of like, you don't even have one. Why should we name it after you? Right, right. I don't have a Grafenberg spot. Come on. Um, yeah, and one another thing that was really interesting about the conversation of anatomy is getting to understand more what's happening inside and how the structures change so that, for instance, you talk about how at most stages of arousal, any sort of like pounding penetration could be really painful and bad. But then there's an actual time during arousal where it's like the mechanisms are set up where that could actually be really good. It's exactly right. I mean, and once you understand it, once you understand that the uterus actually moves. So in early arousal, it's sitting lower and the cervix is, is more 
likely to get banged into, which is not generally considered a pleasant sensation. At high level arousal, the whole uterus picks up and moves forward, pulling the cervix up out of the back of the vagina and opening that part of the vagina up. And again, I didn't know this, but when I figured it out, it was like, oh yeah, I, I've had that experience where sometimes my cervix was getting hit and it didn't feel good. And, and then understanding when it moves up out of the way, it gives you access to these deep um, nerve endings that actually are designed to respond to more of a kind of a, a pounding stimulation. It's just like, oh, that's why it's going on. That's why it feels like that. And that's, that's a lot of where this comes from was my own aha moments of when I understood this going like, oh, that's why that worked that way. And I, I hear that from a lot of women in the classroom. I'm like, oh, yeah, I've had that experience. I just didn't understand what was going on. Yeah. And it sounds like that is also connected to the the dual purpose of that region of a of a woman's body you know the that that inter intersection between the getting pregnant and delivering babies and sexual pleasure and how those circuits overlap each other yeah and you know i was a midwife so i have this background um but our culture has done everything it can to separate birth from sex uh, much to the detriment of most of the women having babies in our culture, because we do a really bad job of helping women have babies. But when you start understanding that it's an integral system, it's not there's a reproductive system over here and over there there's a sexual pleasure system. And somewhere off in the distance is your emotional attachment bonding system. Kind of like, no, we have one integral baby's bliss and bonding system. And in fact, kind of what makes us mammals um, is that system. And when we start understanding that, again, it gives us so much more insight into sex and pleasure and birth and fertility and all these other things. Um, so it's, to me, again, this is just a, essential information. Yeah. I'd like to to dive deeper, if we may. Um, there are a couple things that I want to talk about. Um, one is... On our show, in the particularly in the episode with Diana that I mentioned earlier, we talk about we've talked a lot about non-orgasmic sex, and when we talk about it, we're what we're really saying is not that people aren't experiencing pleasure or even really deep pleasure, but that there's there's like the typical peak orgasm that people experience and what that does to us in terms of our physiology and the hormones that are involved. Um, that typically being a more dopamine-centered type of experience, which leads or can lead to you habituating to your partner, to you having all kinds of emotional symptoms that distance you from your partner. Um, and contrasting that with non-orgasmic sex where you are actually focused more on activities that are building oxytocin and bonding and feelings of transcendence and and more energetic orgasms. Um, and in fact, my, my partner and I um, privately and in our work, we've also kind of coined this term of O1 versus O2. And O1 being like 
you know, peak orgasm, you come all over the place. And O2 being the more subtle exploration around what's happening energetically and expanding that way. And then I was reading your book and I was like, oh my God, there's like O2, O3, O4, O5. There's like all these, there's a, there's this huge realm. So could you talk a little bit about what that all means and expanding your view of yourself as a sexual being and your sensual capacities and your capacity to experience different kinds of orgasms. Yeah. Well, let's let's start for a moment by talking about arousal uh, before we talk about orgasm. Awesome. And I want you to think about arousal as an altered state of consciousness. Arousal is a trance state. It's an altered state of consciousness. And we go uh, on a journey through these different levels of altered state. You know, and we can look at brain waves, and that's one of the ways of sort of assessing altered state of consciousnesses that people go through. And the thing about the sort of standard um, uh, sex that people have, which is usually not a very long experience uh, from beginning to end, um, they're getting into that uh, altered state. They're going into the trance state, but they're not getting deeply in the trance. And they're not going to the deepest levels of trance. And so if we start thinking of arousal as a, a place we want to hang out in and spend time in uh, and, and get skilled at playing with and orchestrating, it can help us uh, go through that journey in a much more altered, expanded way. And uh, the more we expand arousal, the more we expand our orgasmic options. So uh, there's, a, it's interesting that you're talking about, you know, orgasm one and orgasm two and beyond, because the thing uh, for women about orgasm, I'll start with women, is that we can get to the point where we can have um, dozens and dozens of orgasmic peaks or we can have an orgasm that essentially goes on for five minutes or 50 minutes or, or even hours. And where we're sort of uh, kind of in, uh, in orgasm for a really, really long expanded amount of time. And uh, men can do that too if they learn to have non-ejaculatory orgasms. So I'm talking about expanded arousal where we go deeper into our trance and we access the deepest levels of trance, which we don't in regular sex, and then orgasm where we're also accessing these uh, deeper altered states that we don't normally get to with regular orgasm. And when we do that, we get a different biochemical result than if we're having regular orgasm. Did, did that make sense? Does Absolutely. there anything that I need to explain a little more? Um, well, I hope you're going to tell us a little bit more about how to do it. <laughs> I will. Great. I just want to make sure I was clear about the sort of, you know, we start looking at altered states of consciousness. Um, uh, labor, by the way, is an altered state of consciousness. And the same thing can happen in arousal and labor, which is that when we go really, really deeply in, um, we get beyond way beyond self-consciousness, but we also, we start getting access to the sort of primal um, erotic energy of the universe and the, the, the information 
uh, about how to be and what to do that is it's it's beyond and or under thinking you know so for women uh whether when in when you're having this this expanded arousal or there's or labor this expanded labor state you're not thinking about what am i going to do next or oh does my butt look fat in this position or is my partner getting bored or you know any of those things we're we're not only beyond that kind of thinking the the Wherever it comes from, I don't know where it comes from, the collective unconscious, I don't know where it comes from, but the information about where to be, what to do, how to act, what rhythm to find, um, it's all there without any thinking. That's why women in that kind of labor are doing exactly what they need to do to get the baby out. That's why people who are having sex in that state are doing exactly what they need to do to, um, to, to keep it going and expand it and play with it yeah and it strikes me that that has to like to me anyway that speaks to sex being intrinsically connected to our sacred experience if those if if those rhythms that connect us deep more deeply and deeply to our partners are there or to ourselves are there then that's speaking to a greater purpose than just procreation in terms of sex. Well, you know, for all animals, I mean, it's also connecting us with our most sort of primal animal self. At the same time, humans are the most sexual animals, right? We're the most, we're the only animals that have sex not to procreate pretty much except for dolphins and bonobos. But um, we have sex not to make babies, Right. Right. Radical. I mean, that is just like amazingly different from what other animals do. So that's why for us, sex is both this primal connecting to the ancient animal template at the same time, um, connecting to this sacred divine potential that we have as conscious beings. Right. And it's just just this awesome bridge or connector or conduit between all of that. Um. So I would love to give our the, our listeners a sense of some things that they could try that would start them on their journey to deepening when they are either alone or with a partner. And um, I like how at the very beginning of this conversation, you talked about this broad picture of mind and body and heart and spirit and how all of those are connected. So do you think that would be a helpful framework for like, let's talk a little bit about what needs to happen in your mind and in your body and in your heart and for that spiritual component as well? Yeah. And I think what I, what I like when I'm offering this is to say to people that, that this is a smorgasbord, (laughs) you know, take what works for you. There's no one right way to do it. There's no one right path. So start with what sounds good to you, what feels easy, what feels yummy, Um, from whatever I'm offering. But if we look at ourselves as having these uh, toolkits um, or sets of instruments, our body tools are uh, breath, foundational mind-body tool, um, breath, uh, sound, movement, vision, smell and taste, and touch. Those are our body tools. So if you want to get into more expanded arousal, which is where I always recommend we start. It's about starting to play with 
these different things and then noticing what happens and noticing in is part of awareness. And those are, that's from your mind tools, your mind tools of awareness, um, attention, intention, uh, imagination. Those are some of your mind tools. So start to <coughs> just, just notice what's happening with your breathing while you're playing and you're in that state of arousal and then run some experiments play with what happens if I breathe faster what happens okay that's an experiment just notice what happened what happens if I breathe slower what happens if I breathe with more of my whole body um sound sound is one of our amazing tools that we have in our toolkit what happens if I start going oh what happens if I go ah 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 so start playing, run some experiments, notice what happens, and check in with how it expands your arousal. Take your time and um, play with different tools. If uh, the spiritual tools call to you, you might want to create a sacred space in which to run your erotic experiments. Uh, it might be something as simple as setting the intention that it be sacred or lighting candles, or putting on some music, or uh, it might be movement that really calls to you. So you might start your play by putting on your favorite dance music and, and dancing for five or 10 minutes, and then start your erotic self-pleasure session. Uh, think of your erotic self-pleasure session as, a, as an improv. And so this is really, there's not like a program so much as there's a whole uh, spectrum of things that you can use to add to your experience and then playing with them. And, and mastery is when you get to the point where you just intuitively, deeply know what to do without having to think about it. But you get to mastery by practicing skills. So that's the kind of that's the short program. Yeah. Could you chat for a moment about sound? And I was so fascinated by that connection between opening your mouth and your throat and and how that uh, reverberates to your lower chakras as well. Yeah, you know, I got to tell you, one of the advantages that I had in sort of putting this map together was that, you know, for instance, when I first was in uh, probably nursing school studying anatomy, or maybe it was massage school, I don't remember, but because I had already studied all this holistic learning and perspectives, um, and because I was already doing birth work, when the teacher says something like, all of the round sphincter muscles in your, the top of your body, in your face, your mouth, your eyes, uh, are hardwired connected to the ones in your genitals uh, and your pelvis to the external ones. I went, oh my gosh, that's why when we want to help a woman dilate in labor, we help her open her mouth and her throat. Um, that's why when we get turned on, when we get aroused and we're in labor, our pupils dilate, right? It was just like that, like, oh, that's why women in labor um, tend to want to be in a dimly lit room. I mean, it was just like one of those things where it's like, oh, it's all connected. I get that. So, so literally uh we have sphincter muscles round muscles in our in our genitals our anus and our urinary tract and they are connected like by hardware hardwired neurologically connected um to the mouth the throat 
the muscles, the pupils of the eyes and the muscles around the eyes. I mean, that's why, you know, you can look at someone's face when they're in a state of ecstasy and you know they're ecstatic. You don't have to see the rest of their body. You don't have to see anything sexual happening. You can just look at someone's face and see that they're in that altered state of ecstasy, right? Mm. Yeah. So it's, uh, and of course, women in labor, it's, it's key to opening, to, to allowing themselves to open, uh, to be able to allow themselves to, to uh, open top and bottom. And all of the sacred sexuality disciplines and traditions, they all recognize that connection uh, the central channel, the inner flute, the hollow bamboo, the, that connection between the top and the bottom. And then if we look embryologically, we see the same thing, that when we formed, when we, each of us were, be, were becoming, that we went through a stage. After we were a little ball of cells, then we became uh, a tube within a tube. So that central tube, that central channel is actually quite ancient within us in, in multiple ways. And this is just once you become aware of it, then you're like, oh, I can use that. I can use that. I can use opening my top to help open my bottom. I can use sound and movement to connect, to open and connect one area to the other. Oh, I wanted to mention the when you were talking about the spiritual approach and setting a spiritual setting for what you're doing, and you talked about maybe a ritual or creating a sacred space uh, one thing I just wanted to offer that's been really helpful, both personally and in my practice with clients, has been um, also when you're setting that space to to spiritually close it to the outside world, so that you're you're creating this container that is exclusively about you and your lover meeting, mm-hmm. and and that other influences are, are not welcome there, mm-hmm. whether that be, you know, the, the storm that's happening outside or the things that you left behind at the office or whether it's, you know, past trauma, past lovers. I mean, those things can bubble up, of course, but I, I found that it's been really helpful to, to include that as part of the spiritual practice um, mm-hmm. to creating that safe container. Yeah. And I'll, I will add, um, Leave your technology out of it. Leave your phones and your computers and all that other stuff out of that space. Mm. Yeah. Is there a particular reason for that? Um, I find uh, uh, for a lot of people, maybe younger people, it's it's a bit more so, but their uh, devices are there. So uh, even if you aren't picking up your phone to check your messages, the fact that it's there in your visual field means part of your brain is there. Um, also, if you're if it's connected to work, then you're going to be thinking about work. It's it's another reason why you don't want the pile of dirty laundry in your visual field because then you're thinking, oh gosh, I've got to go do laundry. So it's about kind of creating a space that is got none of the other uh, demands and draws and distractions of the rest of our lives. Yeah, and when and when you're when you're done, you don't want to like go straight to checking your email. <laughs> that too. <laughs> I think that's a discipline for a lot of people now. That's really challenging the idea of um, putting their phone down. Right, right, because people are so addicted to that hit of dopamine that they get simply from oh, I got a text from so and so, or yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Could you talk for a moment about sexual energy? 
and what that even means in your holistic model and how do we cultivate it? Well, it's first of all, it's one of those questions that's got a lot of different answers about what sexual energy is. Um, so for me, I do think it is the energy of the universe that we tap into and the way that it manifests in our body is through arousal and, and desire. So, um, you know, hunger and appetite for pleasure is all part of our sexual energy. I do think it, it really is our life force. Um, you know, we, uh, we have a couple of prime directives here. One prime directive, the number one for all, all living things is that I should survive. Uh, but number two on the hip parade is reproduction. I must make more of me. So I send my genes out into the next generation. These are, these are like the primal directives of, of life. And so our sexual energy at root is the manifestation of that primal life force. And then, of course, as humans, we have taken it in this completely expanded direction because for us that manifestation of sexual energy is, is about so much more than reproduction. So to me, it's just this, 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 uh, the way the life force celebrates itself inside of our mind body, I guess I could say. And it's our, it's our birthright. It's our, it's our birthright to access the energy of ecstasy and the energy of pleasure. And we're very confused about that in this culture. We're, we have a lot of messages that are very pleasure negative messages. Yeah. So there are two things that brings up for me. And the first is wondering who, like how to take responsibility for cultivating that. And especially because I think if someone's in like a long-term relationship where they haven't been uh, cultivating that energy, then it could feel like, oh, the spark is gone. And, you know, what can people do in that kind of circumstance to reawaken that sexual connection and fire? Well, you know, long-term relationship is, is a challenge, right? Relationship of any kind is a challenge, right? It's a, it's a challenge. It's a learning opportunity. It's a spiritual path. I mean, there's so many things. But one of the great challenges to keep attraction and desire happening. How do you how do you how do you want what you already have? Uh, how do you cultivate that? And familiarity is one of the things that is the sort of the opposite of excitement and novelty and newness. You know, we we're around someone, they become familiar, they become like family. And we've got some pretty ancient programming that says you should not want to have sex with your family members. So I think part of how we cultivate that excitement and that desire with a partner is, um, well, there's a number of things. One is that you need to keep bringing novelty to your sexual life together. You have to learn together and experiment and explore and, and consciously choose ways to bring that in. That's one way. Mm-hmm. Um, another way is you have to stay interested and interesting. Um, uh, another thing to think about to keep it going is to look at the behaviors that people engage in when they're falling madly in love. And that falling madly in love pattern is is very clear. It's very standard. Um, you gaze in each other's eyes. You want to 
touch each other all the time. You're smiling at each other. You're interested in everything the other person has to say. You're kind of, um, you have, basically you have obsessive compulsive disorder. Yeah. Or I was going to say you're hypnotizing yourself You're or you're getting into a trance-like state. Yeah. Well, Mother Nature's got that. This is like part of her programming to do this, right? She wants us to to mate and make babies. So there's this, again, very ancient programming about the falling in love behaviors. But what you can do is look at those behaviors and say, okay, that was the training wheels. That was the learning period. Now, how do I keep the energy going that way? Keep doing the behaviors. Take time to touch each other non-sexually um, in a whole language of touch. Um, take time to have eye gazing, uh, be interested in what your partner has to say, be interesting so to help that happen and um, um, kiss, like really kiss, like, like luscious, sweet, sexy, lips, tongue, mouth, kisses uh, are awesome examples. And when you keep doing those things, you actually keep those energies alive. So those are some of the, some of the, I'm just going to call them tricks, but I don't want to call them tricks. They're not tricks. They're, they're, they're practices that you engage in consciously to consciously choose to keep your, your relationship alive. Yeah. And if you were going to cultivate your sexual energy for, you know, so that you have more of that on hand to offer to your relationship. What's, what's a practice that one could do in order to cultivate that? Well, again, I think it gets down to, um, conscious choices, right? Um, how, how much time are you taking to be with each other in an intimate connected way? Um, do you have intimacy dates? Time where you just uh, do you do massage with each other? Do you take showers together? Are you cuddling? Um, are you having fun together? Do you do you, um, do things that are exciting together? So those are all some of the the practices that you can do. But I think the big one here is about time. Mm. Um, are we taking the time that our relationship needs? in order to keep cultivating it, keep it alive. And often the answer is, oh, but I'm so busy. I have so many other things I'm doing. It's like, well, that's that's a choice, but make it consciously. Right. And it and it's interesting too in the the young model of sexuality that we were talking about at the very beginning, mm -hmm. then it's like, well, we only need 10 minutes, right? But mm -hmm. the, in reality um, you actually do want to dedicate some time and not just that intimate time that you're talking about, but I also liked how you, like when you expand into seeing your sexuality as the way that you are interacting with the world and with life, mm -hmm. then it seems like it actually, you are, you're, it's possible for you to take a lot more time because it's always happening. You're on that continuum with life and with your partner. You're just at a different place in the continuum when you're appreciating them before you go to work in the mm -hmm. two minutes that you have. That's right. Right. And if you really only have 10 minutes, maybe you're better off spending it, um, you know, toning together, hugging, eye gazing than trying to have a quick 
you know, have a quickie. Not that there's anything wrong with quickies. Quickies can be good too, but you want to have that whole spectrum. And, and, um, one of the, another thing I'll add is about kindness and positivity. Like, are you creating, you know, a loving, mutually supportive, uh, environment with each other? And you do that all the time, right? That's an ongoing all the time kind of a thing, not like a, oh, now we're in bed. So now I'll be nice to you. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, Sherry, I want to say first, thank you for being so generous with your time and your wisdom with us today. Um, Sherry's book, Women's Anatomy of Arousal is available uh, at on Amazon and probably some of your local booksellers. And um, she also has a website, intimateartscenter.com. And Sherry, you did mention that you're also doing some online education as well. Yeah, we've, been, we've just recently launched a new uh, erotic education online, which is uh, empowering erotic education for, for grownups. And um, we've got, uh, in fact, right at this moment, I don't know when people are hearing this, but if it's December 2015, right now we've got some super special deals on our winter online classes. And it's a really fun, accessible way to get this education uh, without having to either go to a class or uh, take the time out of your life to travel somewhere. So it's been fun. We're having a great time figuring out how to share all the information I've been teaching in person in an online format. Great. Well, we will definitely have links to your site and to that site as well on uh, on our site and in the show notes for this episode. And just a reminder for people, you can go to neilsatin.com slash arousal to, uh, and I just chose that arbitrarily, but um, you can go there to download the show notes or you can text the word passion, P-A-S-S-I-O-N to the number 33444 and follow the instructions and that will get you the show notes and all the links to Sherry Winston's material. Um, Before we go, Sherry, I'm wondering if we could talk about one last thing and this is the kind of thing that we could have spent an entire episode talking about this and and I'm I'm glad we didn't because I'm glad we covered what we did. But um, you talk a little bit about shame in your book and, and how, well, for one thing, how pervasive that is because inherently at the moment we're in a pretty sex-negative culture. Um, and I'm wondering if in this last couple minutes we could address, like, first, how would someone know if they're having a shame reaction to something that's coming up for them? And then second... What's one thing that someone could do to to uh, counteract the effect of shame? Oh, that's a, a great question. Um, well, first of all, the thing about shame, I think actually most people uh, are pretty aware of it. Uh, but if you're not, literally, it's it's kind of interesting. One of the things that happens when we feel shame is the muscles in the front of our neck get weak. And that's the, you know, that hangdog look that people have, that that posture of shame. Mm-hmm. It's those muscles that our chest kind of collapses in and our head drops. And, you know, there's this literal physical embodied posture that happens. Um, but I think it's, it starts with awareness. It starts with um, turning up the radio that's playing in the background with the negative tapes and messages so that you start noticing what they are. 
because sometimes we don't notice them or we're not aware, but starting to kind of go like, oh, when I think about this, I feel shame or I think about this self judgment or criticism, negative stories come up. So it starts with becoming aware of it and then reprogramming. How do we reprogram? How do we um, change our brain patterning and our mind, body, physical patterning around it? Part of it is having the intention to do so. Part of it is just saying, okay, I am not letting that shame message run me. Um, And then there are a number of different mind, body techniques where you literally, um, are reprogramming your brain, reprogramming your thinking, um, doing different kinds of movement. One of the best times to do that reprogramming of the mind-body around shame is during sexual arousal. When we're in that state of arousal, in that trance state is an incredibly powerful time. So we might want to repeat positive messages or uh, tell a new story Uh, or or, uh, think about and talk about and feel our body in a different way when we're in that state of arousal. And that's like an accelerated way to start shifting those messages. Yeah, it strikes me that that would be a great way for uh, partners to work with each other is to be prepared ahead of time. Like, okay, this is my, this Mm -hmm. is some of my shame-based programming and this would be the the counter program. So like, can you like when we're in the heat of the moment, can you whisper this into my ear? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, we I, can, I, we can do it for ourselves and we can do it for our partners. Yeah. And it's really awesome both ways, right? It's really empowering to do it for yourself. And it's amazing to have your partner, you know, you know, say you're so beautiful when you're in your pleasure. And you know, I love this part of your body and your genitals are gorgeous or, you know, all of these these negatives that we have so right and and just like those words may come across as like oh i can't even hear that when you're not aroused when you're in a state of being really receptive and aroused and both the the when the masculine experiences their receptivity as well um it seems like you would experience those things in a different in a totally different way yeah very much so yeah how would you know if your no, like if you're hearing a no within you, how do you know if that's a shame-based no versus like, that's a real no, that's like a, that's not what I want? Well, it's a very good question. Um, you, first of all, if you're with a partner and you're getting a no and you're not sure, be with the no, right? Don't do anything that you're getting a no um, in the moment. So don't cross your boundary that way. But then after the erotic encounter episode, then you get kind of take it out and unpack it and start to, to, to really, what did it feel like? What did it feel like in my body? What did it bring up? Is it bringing up a, something from my history? Was it, was it real about this experience or, or is there, was, was there a part of me that was a yes and a part of me that was a no? So you can explore that in yourself and explore that with your partner. Um, and then when you start to get that information and you get the information that it was like, well, you know, the no was really coming from this cultural shame. Like I didn't want to do that because I, I thought, you know, um, my, I didn't want you to go down on me because I thought my, I think my genitals are yucky and nasty. And, you know, then you get to, to share, um, with your partner, um, you know, yes, I want to heal this. I want to change that. And then you can kind of embark on that together Um, and that way you don't have to necessarily know in the moment, respect your no enough in the moment to not go with the no, 
but then 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 unpack it later so you can decide. Does that make sense? I love it. Yeah, perfect sense. Sherry Winston, thank you so much for all that you've offered today. Your book, Women's Anatomy of Arousal, is amazing and so full of information that we've only just scratched the surface with our conversation here today. But thank you so much for coming on our show. Well, it is a pleasure. And I'll remind people I've got tons of information on my website, blogs and articles and videos and free classes and webinars and giveaways, as well as, you know, books and online classes that you can pay for. So come come on down, come visit IntimateArtCenter.com. Yes, definitely go check that out. And as I mentioned, we'll have all those links available for everyone on our website. So thanks again, Sherry. Thanks so much for having me on. It's really been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to another episode of Relationship Alive. If you like what you've heard and want to make it easier for other people to find out about us, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and to rate and review us on iTunes. If you have questions or comments or want to continue the conversation, you can always join our Relationship Alive community Facebook group. And for more information about today's episode, visit us online at neilsatin.com slash podcast. Or you can always text the word PASSION, P-A-S-S-I-O-N, to the number 33444 for more information. Finally, do you have a burning question that you're hoping we can have answered here on Relationship Alive, either for a future or past guest? Let me know and I'll see what I can do. Take care and see you next time.